0: NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com/earnings right now. netsuite.com/earnings. It's the song that became the anthem of the civil rights movement. The words became a rallying cry for the movement, as Martin Luther King explained in a speech four days before his death.
1: Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. No I've joined hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing it, we shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it.
0: You probably assume that song belongs to the public, but it didn't until last week when a New York federal judge struck down the copyright for the first verse of the song. Joining me is the attorney who won that judgment and is leading the class action against the music publishers who claim to hold the copyright of We Shall Overcome, Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein. Mark, why did your clients decide to challenge the copyright?
1: June, for them, this was such an important song. Such an iconic song, and so important in the freedom struggle and in the story to tell about the freedom struggle, that uh, they believed the song had to be put back in the public domain where it began in the 1940s before before Ludlow filed a copyright for the song.
0: And tell me who your clients were.
1: So we represent we represent two clients in the case. the The first is uh, the We Shall Overcome Foundation, a nonprofit organization that was producing a movie and still will release the movie uh, about the song, the history of the song. And to use the song in the movie, they had to pay uh, a royalty to uh, Ludlow Music to be able to do that. And our other client in the case is uh, Butler Films. They produced the famous movie uh, Lee Daniels, The Butler. And and they too had to pay uh, a fee to use the song. And in fact only used the song for a couple of seconds in the movie because uh, of the uh, amount of money that was demanded by uh, Ludlow to use the song.
0: The song has been traced back to spirituals. How did it get copyright protection in the first place?
1: The song has its origin, as at least here in this country, as a a, a Negro spiritual. And uh, we were able to date the song at least back to the turn of the 20th century, so early 1900s. It was published by uh, a uh, magazine that was owned in part by Pete Seeger in 1948, As We Will Overcome, with virtually the same lyrics and virtually the same melody, but without a copyright. In 1960, the uh, music publisher Ludlow Music decided that it would copyright what was otherwise a public domain work uh, on the basis of a couple of tiny and insignificant changes that they identified in the song, and we challenge the ability uh, to copyright the the trivial and insignificant changes.
0: So, what was the defendant's argument about those changes?
1: Well, there there are two lyric changes uh, in the the famous verse. We will overcome became we shall overcome, and uh, the lyric. Uh, down in my heart became deep in my heart. So the word will was changed to shall somewhere along the line, and the word uh, deep was changed to down somewhere along the line. And they say they were the most important changes to the song. We say they were the kinds of changes that don't uh, entitle uh, anybody to uh, a copyright. And we also said in this case there was no conclusive proof who made those changes in the first place.
0: So the judge agreed with you, and but just about the first verse.
1: Well, the, f- the first verse and the fifth verse are identical. There's eight verses to the song, and, and on the first verse and fifth verse, the same verse that everybody recognizes, Judge Cote ruled that the changes to the lyrics that I just mentioned and a couple of tiny little changes, literally an eighth note or a quarter note in the melody, were, were not sufficiently original to warrant copyright protection and that means that judge cote agreed with us and with our musicologist that the changes were the kinds of changes that any musician might make in performing a song and that doesn't create a new work and so she struck down the copyright for the for the melody and for the famous lyrics on that basis
0: so what happens with the rest of the song now
1: well we have a couple of arguments to make there's a there's a trial that Uh, We'll begin sometime in December of this year, and we intend to prove two things. First, we intend to prove that the four authors that were identified in the copyrights didn't write those lyrics. But, But as importantly, we intend to prove that Ludlow committed a fraud on the copyright office, and disguise the origin of the song to claim copyright when they really had no right to it. And the
0: judge made said that she had nothing to say about those two issues in her ruling. Um, tell me about uh, Pete Seeger's connection with it, because it it gave it a certain um, authenticity when you hear that he was one of the people with the copyright. Uh,
1: what What we have discovered is that Seeger introduced the song to Ludlow, to the publisher, uh, in the late 1950s, 1958 or 1959. Uh, He was not on the original copyright that was filed in 1960, although the only work that uh, Ludlow ever specifically attributed to any particular author was the two lyrical changes that they attributed to Seeger. Uh, We have a theory about why Seeger wasn't on the copyright and we'll prove that at the trial in December but he was not on the copyright even though he introduced the song to Ludlow and and he was the one that Ludlow says made those changes
0: now you introduced, you sued and won an- over another iconic song the happy birthday song that another song that everyone thought was copyright protected were there similarities in the two cases or in the way you investigated it or what you found out? Uh,
1: similarities in both cases and certainly in the way we went about investigating them. In in either case, the songs really were were public, popular songs to begin with, and a publisher claimed a copyright and work that had been in the public domain long before the copyright applications were filed. And similar in the way they, they were investigated, my partner Randy Newman is an absolute genius at, at ferreting out the real facts and and spent months and months in both cases delving into the historical record before we filed either case.
0: It's it's amazing the, the similarities between these two songs in that so many people... I mean, I think that most people would think that these songs were in the public domain and especially... I mean, happy birthday. And you've heard this as a civil rights anthem for so long and in, in so many places.
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the common thread here is that they are both public works. They are, are original to uh, the public, really. Um, and and what we have is a misuse of copyright.
0: We're going to hear more about this. you are taking it to trial. That's Mark Rifkin. He's a partner at Wolf Haldenstein. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Thanks to our producer, David Sutcherman and our technical director, Reginald Bazil. Coming up next, Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson. I'm June Grosso. You've been listening to Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you.